0: So but uh, Romans chapter six is where we're starting tonight. We finished up chapter five, and uh, we are now again, this chapter, uh, there's not a not a whole lot in this chapter that is super familiar uh, when it comes to like Romans 3:23, Romans 3:10, things of that nature. Now we we do know the very last verse of of Romans chapter six pretty well. and that is, uh Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh we're not gonna get there uh to that verse this evening. Um if we got through twenty-three verses in one shot, it would be a world record uh for for here tonight. But uh but we're not going to, we're not even gonna try to. Uh, but we'll we'll get to verse number twenty-three later. But that is a familiar verse. There's also Uh, Verse number 1 tends to be somewhat familiar if you're dealing with grace. Verse number 1 and uh, also verse uh, number 15. And um, verse number 1 and verse number 15 both deal with uh, the question of should we continue in sin? Verse number 1, you know, continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. Um, And then, of course, verse number 15, similar uh, is a repeat to a degree. A degree as of what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. And so those are kind of familiar, um, especially from our small study we did on um, on the issue of grace and the mis misuse of the idea of grace, uh, and, and looking at what Paul very clearly laid out that grace should not uh, be treated like. And so. Um, we're going to revisit just a little bit of that uh, tonight because of verse number one that we're going to hit. But Romans chapter six has uh, a, a an enjoyable theme as a whole because it uh, it focuses focuses on uh, the the idea as far as a main theme focuses on the idea of being made free to serve God. All right, made free from sin. To serve God in righteousness. And, uh, and so made free to serve God is over, the overall theme of chapter 6. And uh, I would personally say to me, verse number 17 and verse number 18 would be two key verses. Again, there's very good verses throughout the chapter. But verse 17 and verse 18 would be two key verses that really do wrap up the theme of the chapter as a whole in in very encouraging and very uh, convicting verses uh, for us all. And in verse number seventeen, it says, "But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered, uh, which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness." And that really is. Uh, keying in on the entire focus of chapter 6 is being released from one servitude to be free to choose the service of righteousness. Um, some would say, well, that that's being freed from one slavery just to put yourself in another bondage. No, uh, because even in... Um, Bible times, even during Roman times, <clears throat> there was an understanding of a different type of servant. There was your servant without choice, whether you were sold into slavery or whether you, sometimes they would even put themselves into servitude because they could not pay a bill or they could not afford uh, to, to pay something, and so they would actually say, I can't pay you, but I will serve you for X amount of time uh, to to pay off what I owe, my debt. And, uh, and so there was, there was uh, service because of slavery. There was service by choice and necessity. But then there was also those that, many times, it started with those that were in service because of slavery, and they were sold into service to a master. Um, there were times when that servant would reach a point at which they were to be made free. There was only uh, in, in, in especially Jewish law, uh, there was only a certain amount of time that you could retain a servant. <clears throat> and if you had that servant, doesn't matter if you were supposed to have that servant, you were supposed to have them for five years, if, if the year of time frame, I wish my brain was working where I could bring, it, bring up the, the names of this, um, but there, there was a time, I believe it was ever, the seventh year, um, which would be the year of rest, uh, Jubilee. When that came around, <clears throat> then anyone who was in debt to another, the debt was to be forgiven anyone who was in service to someone, their service was to be annulled and their service, they were to be set free, no matter what the issue. And so um, there were times, though, when, whether it was through that year of Jubilee in the Jewish law, or there were times where an individual was put into servitude slavery for a certain amount of time, um, even under the Romans or other, other groups, And when that time would come to to its end, to its completion, and they were to be set free, they have completed uh, their expectation, then when they were to be set free, there was an option for that servant. They are free from the bondage of obligation. But being set free, they had an option to then choose to freely serve by their own will someone who has treated them well someone who has done them well and they're actually better off underneath the umbrella of that master's household than out there on their own trying to scrimp and make it and there were times when a servant that would be set free would say i would rather not now there was laws especially in the jewish setting where if he came into service as a single man, and while in service to the master, he was given the permission to be married to somebody underneath the service of that master. And then they had a family while under the service of that master. By law, because he did not come into his service married, When he is free from his service, his service is done. The only thing he can take is himself out of the house. So there were times that a servant would say, I love my wife that my master has allowed me to marry. I love my children that have come through That marriage that my master that I served gave his blessing on. And I love my master because he's been good to me. I choose not to leave, but I choose to make myself an indentured, a servant of choice to my master. And they would then, out of his free will, choosing to stay with the one he is serving, they would then take that servant, they would take him uh, to, to the, 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 the center of town or, or even the, 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 the gates of the city where, where those that would witness all important actions would be. And they would present the, the, the position of him being free but yet choosing to stay with his master, then they would take an awl uh, or a spike and they would put his ear against the post and they would drive the awl through making a hole through the ear, not for an earring but for a sign that he has chosen to stay with his master because he loves his master. And he loves what his master has done for him. So he was free from the obligation. But he was free to choose. To stay with the one who has done right by him. So that that understanding. As Paul is coming through this. He uses the idea. He uses the analogy you might even say. Of being a servant. To one of two masters. You have Service to one out of complete obligation to begin with, you are bound by sin. You and I are bound in sin and we are obligated to the judgment of sin because of being bound as a slave to it. But he then also presents the opposite that happens because of Christ and that is once you have been set free from the sin, you are set free not to do whatever you want. You are set free to choose to serve righteousness. You are set free. And again, there's a difference between being a slave of sin and a servant of God. I'm not a slave of God. Um, I, I've seen some commentaries that will put in the Bibles and they'll, they'll put in the sections when it comes down to the second half especially, they'll put in their, um, uh, not instead of a, a servant of righteousness title of the last several verses, they'll put in their uh, slavery to righteousness. And I, I, I've seen them, I'm like, what? Because I was a slave to sin, but I freely choose to be a servant of God. My freedom from sin gives me that opportunity to choose a different path and choose God in my everyday life and my service. So let, let's go through and look at uh, verse 1 through 14. So that, that, that's kind of a, an overall look at the chapter. We'll get into more of that uh, as we get further down. But looking at, at verse number 1, uh, I'm not sure if we'll get one to fourteen tonight or not. We'll we'll see how far we'll get. All right. So from from verse number one and two, uh, well I'll say this: verse number one to verse number fourteen. Uh, as a heading, you can say you could break it down to verse number one to verse number fourteen. Deals with both dead and living. And and I, I almost had fun with this, but I didn't want to give reference to a whole series of really bad stuff we shouldn't be watching but I almost said it it references the living dead, all right? But we're not going to go there, okay? But that is what it is. You and I, as a child of God, we are living, though dead. And you say, how does that make sense? Well, Well, Paul lays it out for us. We are dead to one and living to the other. Because we are dead to one, we can be alive by the other. And that's what he begins to present here for the child of God. So he starts off with, in verse number 1 and 2, with the warning concerning the abuse of grace. Why? Because in chapter 5, he ends um, with the understanding uh, that um, that, uh, it says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse number 20, just prior to that, is the one that individually said, love to use about grace. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So, Paul has just gotten through dealing with grace that abounds far beyond the reach and guilt of sin. Grace can accomplish forgiveness. No matter how great the sin or how how, uh, large the amount in a person's life, grace has the ability to bring God's forgiveness and not be stopped by sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But now Paul goes in and he gives a warning about the abuse of grace. Paul presents the natural tendency of man in verse number one, and then he also answers the question concerning that natural tendency with great authority. Verse number one, he says, What uh, shall we say then? Okay, since where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So what what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's dealing with a natural tendency of man. Well, hey, (laughs) since... Since sin can't outdo grace and grace is always going to outdo sin, I can go do what I want because the more I sin, the more grace there will be. And we want want God's grace to be abundant, right? We want God's grace to abound. And so I'm going to help God's grace abound. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he answers it with authority. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What he's saying is, how can a child of God even think that way? How can a child of God even feel justified in considering that line of thought? Because if I'm dead to sin, how can I go back and live in it? It's dead to me. Why would a child of God want to live in sin when I'm supposed to be dead to it? It's an oxymoron. It's impossible to say I'm dead to sin, but yet I want to live in it. The child of God is not to desire to live in sin that grace may abound. Well, I can do what I want because God's grace will be abundant. No, if I'm dead to sin, I can't live therein. Now, listen, does that mean that we all reach a point, and you ought, bless God, if you're a real, true child of God, you will reach a point where you will no longer sin in this flesh? You know that's taught nowadays, too. You find somebody that claims to no longer sin in this flesh, and they're sinning directly in front of you because they're lying. And they also are so lifted up in pride to think more highly of themselves than they ought that they are very close to, if not already, falling while thinking they stand. Uh, There's a lot more concerning that and the warning that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought and to be careful lest we fall. So Paul is very clearly pointing out the child of God cannot, the one who is dead to sin cannot live any longer therein and be a happy, satisfied, right with God, child of God. So he deals with the abuse of grace right there. But then verse 3 through verse number 7 he gives the understanding of what water baptism is and what it represents. This, this is where it really does get interesting, and it might be where we have to stop, because I do not see myself getting to verse number 14 tonight. But look at verse number three, down to verse number seven. And let me read it, and then I'll go back and we'll break it down. It says, "Know ye not." That so many now don't, don't don't forget he just got through. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he asked that he he asked that question. Now he goes into a little bit more uh, in detail. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized unto, uh, into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father Now, one thing is is for sure, when we actually do physically die, the child of God will be completely and totally free from even the temptation of sin. But in this life, what Paul is presenting is the child of God has within them, and because of what Christ has done for them, has the potential to live free from sin while living in this life. Does it mean that we are perfect individuals? No. But it does mean that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It does mean that the child of God has the ability, having been set free from sin, has the ability to live without falling for and giving in and living according to sinful flesh, lust, and desires we have the potential to do so, but not within our own strength. It is in the strength of the one who has forgiven us for all eternity. He gives the strength we need. Now, let me break these verses down a little bit for you. Right, Verse number three presents the the needed question. Uh, It says, know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ we're baptized into his death so now he's dealing with baptism he begins to deal with the picture of baptism and also what it is to remind us of as a child of god not just for the death burial and resurrection of Christ but it also reminds us of who we are in Christ because as he was in death burial and resurrection So we are to be in the same likeness according to the death, burial, and resurrection. And not talking about the the actual resurrection of the dead. We're talking about in the walk of this life. Dead to one, resurrected for a new purpose. Now, I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. It's very interesting. I I can't take you to the verses uh, for sake of time, but... um, but we will talk about the resurrection, I believe, it, it. It definitely referencing here. But it is a needed question. But then also, uh, he presents in verse number 4 and verse number 5, that like as Christ, so we are to be. Verse number 4, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So we are buried through baptism in the picture of death, his death uh, we follow in baptism. That like as Christ was raised up, From the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, that that right there, that statement, brings about an understanding of what he's dealing with concerning the resurrection of Christ. What he's dealing with is not just the fact that he arose from the dead, and he's no longer dead, and he has victory over death, and so shall we, he gets to some of that, and there's other passages where Paul speaks much more boldly and much more directly, and and, and it's very good concerning uh, the fact that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the grave. But in this particular case, he talks about as Christ was resurrected, so we are to walk in newness of life, in the same likeness. Well, you go back and you understand, again, I can't take you there right now for sake of time, but... When you go back to the time frame of the resurrection, when Christ was buried, of course, we know that when he died, we'll see it in chapter six later on, but when he died, he died according to the flesh, dying, nailing sin to the cross. That was the dying to sin, to have victory over sin. And as we are buried in baptism, it is to remind us that we, we have, through accepting Christ as our Savior, we now are baptized into Jesus Christ, not for salvation, but as a reminder that as he died and was buried, he died unto sin and he was buried in the, in the tomb, but it was a picture of the flesh being put away, because that which is dead no longer deals with sin. That which is dead, sin still has no more power over. And so it is the picture of death. So when we are baptized in the likeness of his death, we, we too are to be dead to sin. And then in the likeness of his resurrection, we are to also walk in newness of life. When you go back and you, you read the account of when Christ rose from, the, from the, the grave, there is a time frame, uh, and, and others have done a, a very good job at laying out the different times. One day we might do that as well. I haven't sat down and put it all together for us yet. But there is a time frame when, uh, when, when Mary came, one of the Marys came, and, and she was there, and, and she went to touch him, and he said, well, don't, 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 don't touch me. But he's not. I have. I have not not yet ascended, and I have not. Basically, I. I. I'm not at a point now. Later on, with many other witnesses, he told Thomas, "Go ahead. Put. Go ahead. Put your stick. Your thrust your hand. Your your hand on my side. Stick your fingers in the hole. The prints of my hands." And so, there's a time frame when that passed by. But for a certain time frame, there was an excessive amount. Of glorification taken place that he he hadn't yet been fully completed and presented before the Father. Don't touch me. But when he came back, even at that time, he was not the same man that walked and talked with them for the time frame. There has been a, a transformation take place because of resurrection. That in the picture of Christ himself, he died and was buried and sin had been dealt with in the flesh. And as he died and was buried and was now dead to sin in that, in, in that picture, so we should also in Christ be dead to sin, but yet resurrected as he was in newness of life. A whole different story after the grave. A whole different focus after the grave. Before the grave, he was still looking at the cross where sin must be dealt with. After the grave, the cross is in the rearview mirror. Sin has been dealt with. Now comes the ministry of seeking and saving And because that which needed to be done has been accomplished, now send I you into all the world. Death to sin has already been taken care of. New life through resurrection in Christ. And that's what he's talking about. Paul's saying you're to be dead as Christ died and was buried. That is our picture in baptism. I'm dead to sin. And as in a picture, in the likeness of his death and burial, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Meaning, I come out from my time frame, baptism. I come out from representing the death, burial, and resurrection of my Savior. And not only reminding those of what he did for me, but also in in, in making a statement or reminding myself that by choosing Christ, I have died to sin. And I am resurrected to choose new life in Christ. I'm a child of God. Therefore, I am dead to sin and alive to God. And that is what he's dealing with here, verse 4 and 5. Like as Christ, dead and buried, and then resurrected to newness of life. So we are to be dead to sin and yet alive in Christ. And uh, verse number 6 and 7 gives that presentation again of the death of the old man. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. When we receive Christ as our Savior, that old man has been nailed to the tree. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Why? Why am I free from having to serve sin? Because I died to it through Christ. Through the cross and through the grave. I died to it and I was buried. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Does it mean that I'm free from the temptation? No. Does it mean that in this flesh I I have I have no longer any ability to fail? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, just see how you did today. Did you think about it? It doesn't mean we don't deal with the flesh and sin, but it means in Christ I am dead to it so that I can live for Him. I don't have to be in bondage. My old man is dead, crucified with Christ on the cross. The body of sin uh, destroyed. Don't have to serve it anymore. Verse number 7 simply says, For he that is dead... Is freed from sin. It's not saying he that is dead in Christ. Is free from ever sinning. But he that is dead to sin in Christ. Is free from the bondage of sin. Because of Christ. And and baptism is what reminds us. I died to it. I chose Christ. I died to this flesh. I chose Christ. I died to sin. And when I came back out of that water, just as Christ rose from the grave, I came out of that water from full immersion. That's why we don't sprinkle because you can't actually be buried in sprinkling. Maybe if you were ashes, you could sprinkle your ashes somewhere, but a whole different story. But here's the thing. You cannot be fully buried. You cannot be fully in the grave if you're just sprinkled. You have to be Immersed. He was in a tomb, I get that, but he was fully sealed. But when he came out of that tomb, he wasn't the same individual that was crucified and went in. Because the purpose of the flesh he was born in had been completed. He died, perfect God, sinless, while robed in the same flesh that we bear. But he died in that flesh and died victorious over sin and buried it. And when he came out, he came out victorious. He had the keys of all that's required for eternity. And so we are to understand that in Christ, we are free from the bondage of sin. We are free to serve him without sin saying nope you belong to me no i don't i don't belong to you i'm dead to you i belong to him and that's what paul's talking about well we got to stop right there already too long all right this was fun i'm enjoying it okay i don't know about y'all but i'm having a good time all right well let's go ahead and pray and then we'll we'll spend some time in small groups uh, praying specifically over our our requests let's pray together father we thank you again for tonight thank you for the the beauty of your word Lord. i thank you